so here we are in this series, and it's called Rethink Religion. And my point is, I think Jesus is saying something to us as a church. We go through this Get Rooted series, and then he's like, okay, now I want you to rethink these things. And so as many of you repented, as many of you said, Lord, I want to turn to you, then, then now I'm asking you to rethink your giving. And I think the Lord is pressing on us going, rethink, rethink your giving. And that includes me, like just rethink, rethink giving. All right, so that's where we are today in the talk. And if you have your Bible, Luke chapter three is where I'm gonna go. There's a ton of scripture. That's why they're not all in your notes. So I'm gonna read Luke chapter three. We'll put all this on the screen. This is John the Baptist, and he's speaking to people who are asking how they can prove their repentance. That is the subject. Now watch this. Luke three says, when the crowds came to John the Baptist, to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes. I mean, how about that for starting a sermon, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are you really here for? And uh, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Now watch what he says. Prove by the way you live that you have repented. That's the subject of your sins. And turn to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create, child- can create children of Abraham from these very stones, even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised and ready to serve the root, sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Verse 10, so the crowds that are listening in to him say, what should we do then? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and they asked, teacher, what should we do? This is the second group of people. He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. And then 14, what should we do? Asked some soldiers. That's the third group. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. So John's point is how to prove true repentance. That's clear in the scripture. And that true repentance always has fruit. Don't just claim descendants of Abraham. That's not, no. There's fruit behind this life change. What's interesting is you have these three groups of people asking how they can prove their spiritual transformation. That's the question. How can we prove that we have truly repented? And in each response, John says, if you want to know how, pay attention to how you spend your money. Give your shirts. Shirts cost money. Give your food. Food costs money. Tax collectors, they're taking more money than that was needed because they're greedy. Soldiers complaining about their pay, demanding more, trying to weasel, getting more money out of their pay. He says, pay attention to how you spend your money. That's a big indicator of spiritual transformation. Write this in your notes if you would. Faith and finances are inseparable. Faith and finances are inseparable. Jesus teaches this in his very first sermon as we've been looking at for the past few weeks. Matthew chapter six, he's still in the Sermon on the Mount and this is one of the discussions he brings up. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth. Matthew chapter six, verse 19. Where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Keyword here, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is there, your heart, desires of your heart will be also. The word store means to, to lay ahead to store up. So Jesus is inviting his listeners to transfer their wealth from earth to heaven. Did you know that you can transfer your wealth from earth to heaven? Write this in your notes if you would. How we think about heaven impacts how we think about money. 
where we choose to store our treasures depends on where we think our home is. Where is your eternal home? And do you believe that Jesus was right when he said there's an opportunity that you have to store your treasures in heaven? You can lay ahead treasures in advance in heaven, not just here. Go back to the verse, Matthew 6, 19. Treasures on earth, treasures in heaven. Did you know there will be treasures in heaven? There are rewards in heaven. Did you know that God is a God of rewards? There's nothing wrong with giving because you get rewarded. You give to certain investments so that you get a what back? A return. Did you know that when you give, you get returned? God, God is saying when you give and you put your treasures in heaven, there is return in heaven. Do you believe that? This is the point of what he's saying. About eight of you believed it. The rest of you are like, I don't know yet. That's fine. That's why I'm teaching this to you today. How we think about heaven impacts how you think about money. You store up your earthly account. How's your heavenly account looking? How you see heaven impacts how you see your money. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So Jesus draws the conclusion that you can only have your treasure in one place. It's either earth or it's heaven. Where is the desire of your heart? This is his conclusion. We can't store up treasures on earth and in heaven at the same time. Notice his language. Don't store your treasures here. Store your treasures there. Hence, option you have. And his encouragement is, don't put so much stock in materialism here. Put it there. So you go, man, well, how do we do that? I'll get there. Here's two truths about money. Number one, God owns the money that he gives me. And I put that language in there intentionally. God owns the money he gives me. So that when you read it, in fact, why don't you do that right now? Go ahead, just tell your neighbor. God owns the money he gives you. Just say you, you know, if you want to, that way you don't have to take responsibility for it, okay? Now, if you're willing to be daring, just say it like this. Ready? Come on, come on. God owns the money he gives me. Now, does he? Okay, about nine of you. See, the whole back half of the church was like, I don't know yet. Because what does that mean for me? If I say that, come on, right? It's like, man, God owns the money that he gives me, okay? But does he really? All right, Deuteronomy 10, 14. We're gonna go old and new because some of you are like, well, it's all about the old and it's all about the new. Let's talk about both. All right, so... Deuteronomy 10, 14, look. <laughs> I, love, I love how God, so clear. Just look. The highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord, your God. The whole world belongs to him and everything in it. Okay, well, that satisfies that. But you would say, well, that's Old Testament. That's okay, I got a couple new ones for you too. Mark 10, 17. Or we'll go 14. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money. What did he entrust? Money. While he was gone, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. And I know what all of you are thinking. Well, I want to be the guy with five bags. Right? I've never met a Christian yet that said, I really want to be the guy with one bag. Give me less, Lord. Dividing it to proportion to their abilities, he then left on his trip. This is the parable that Jesus uses. Skip down to verse 19. After a long time, their master, is God your master? Don't answer, but think about it. Is God your master? If you're a Christ follower, he is your master. He is your Lord. The conversation is about money. So the master returns in the story from his trip. Do you know Jesus is coming back one day? And then he called them to give an account of how they used their money. No, how they used his money. Did you know that you'll give an account to the Lord today about how you used your money? He's a, his accounting skills are incredible, by the way. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward, five more, he said. Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I did it. I've earned you five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Amen. If you don't want responsibilities in heaven, then just don't be wise with your money. <laughs> no, I mean, just... He's, there's rewarding in this. Did you, know, did you know that whenever God gives you more responsibility, it's a reward? It's more entrustment. So let's celebrate together, he says. And then he goes on with the two and three. You can keep reading it if you want to, but write this in your notes. God gives me the ability to gain money. Did you know that God gave you the ability to gain money? Yes, he does. And how do I know that? Well, I got a verse for you. Ready? In case you don't know. I love being a little sarcastic today for some reason. I don't know why. The way the Lord made me. Okay, so Deuteronomy 8. It's all in love. Verse 17. He did all of this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth on my own strength and energy. He's talking to the Israel nation, the nation of Israel. Remember the Lord your God. This is all about when you enter the land, by the way. Deuteronomy chapter eight, chapter six, seven, and eight is all about acquiring land. And when you go acquire the land and you get all these things, don't forget about me is basically what he's saying. It says, remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you the power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Did you know that he gives you the strength to be successful? Who do you think gave you that mind? I know you thought you learned it on Google, but God gave you a mind. Did you know that he gives you breath in your lungs? He can give it and he can take away. When a person gets sick, and I'm talking about deathly sick, do they choose that, oh, I think I'm gonna get sick today. I think I'm gonna get close to death today. No, listen, he has the power to give and take away. Everything you have is from him. And the ability you have to produce a living is from him. 
Who do you think makes the sun shine on the farm crops that you end up consuming eventually? Do you know what would happen to your plate if the sun went away? More bioengineered foods. That's what you would have, right? More chemicals. Aren't you thankful to the Lord for the sun? Think about that. Every time you eat a piece of fruit or vegetable or animal. I mean, think about this, right? How God provides for the world. He owns it all and he gives you the ability to gain money. Write this in your notes if you would. When we think about our money, think manager, not owner. Well, that'll change how you spend today, won't it? It should It should change how you tip too. You're generous or you're not generous? Please don't wear a Brave Church shirt out and give 10%. No one's coming. I'm telling you right now, the loudest laughs are the previous waiters right now. You know, living on tips, right? Did you know that you're a manager of God's money? You are not the owner. Jesus is inviting you to think differently today. Every dollar in your account, every dollar to your name is not owned by you. God has entrusted it to you. The home, everything in your home, the amount of space you have, it is an entrustment. How are you using it for his kingdom? When you go to the Lord one day and you have to give an account to how you spent your wealth for his kingdom, how are you doing? This is a thing we will be asked. Maybe not even have to be asked. We'll know. And you know now. Many people in our groups use their homes or use space in their homes to bring more people into his kingdom. That's stewardship too. Right? So Jesus is pushing on this idea of understanding this, that we are his managers, we're not owners. I'm gonna give you five practical questions. I'm gonna answer three of them today, two next week, about biblical stewardship that I know many people have. So number one, should we give? All right, 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and in knowledge and in complete earnestness and in love, we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. Okay, I gave you one verse. There are many. And, and I just want to answer the practical question, should we give? And I'm speaking to Christ followers. Should we give? And the answer is absolutely yes. I mean, there's nowhere you could grab a Bible out and say, no, I'll show you a verse that says we don't have to give. The whole thing is about giving. Offer your body as a living and sacrifice. Lay down your life for your friends. I mean, it's way beyond just finances. It's like giving up your whole life, literally. Many of the followers of Jesus gave up their life and were martyred and killed for their faith. I mean, the whole thing's about giving. Being like Christ who laid down his life for humanity. I mean, he gave way more than his wallet. He gave his life. So 
Should we give? <laughs> I mean, how do you debate? No. All right, I know. There's no debate in most Christian circles about should you give. I do not believe any self-professing Christ follower, a disciple, one who gave his life for the church, their disciple of him, you and me, can support not living and growing in a life of generosity. The reality is a disciple of Christ desires to put more resources into the advancement of his kingdom. Yet many self-professing Christians, and I want to use a phrase today that I think it'll help you, and that is some people. Everybody say some people. Just say some people. All right, these are some people, okay? Some people don't give anything at all, and yet they profess Christianity. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about some people. Some people never give a dollar to a local church. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about some people. Where is that found as a Christ follower in, in this? All right? It is absolutely clear Christ followers are called to give. No debate on should we. Um, a resource uh, that I will recommend to you, I don't mind buying. If you can't afford one, I'll buy it for you. The treasure, the treasure Principle, Randy Alcorn, a lot of good content. A lot of what I'm preaching on this comes from some of his resources. If you want it or you need it today so bad, I'll give it to you. I'll give you mine. But I recommend you order it. The Treasure Principle, it's about five bucks on Amazon. And if you don't have five bucks, I'll buy it for you. All right. I'm so generous, you know. I looked at the prices before. If it was 10, I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> I'm still growing in my faith, you know. Goodness gracious. All right, so I'm going to read to you something he wrote in here. And um, it's in my notes to read this to you. All right. So he writes, it's increasingly common for Christians in accountability groups to ask one another the tough questions. Have you spent your time in the word lately? Are you living a pure life? Have you been sharing your faith? But how often do we ask, are you winning the battle against materialism? How's your giving going? So true. When it comes to giving, churches operate under a don't ask, don't tell policy. We lack communication, accountability, and modeling. It's as if we have an unspoken agreement. I won't talk about it if you don't. So we can continue on living as we are. So true. How many of you would come back next Sunday if I said, say, how's your tithing going? None of you. <laughs> except for those that are tithing. True. Maybe not, right? 
Think about how uncomfortable it would be if I said, are you tithing? How's your tithing going? You see, we've done something in our churches. It's a don't ask, don't tell policy. We don't talk about it. In fact, pastors are encouraged, don't ever look at it. Because it may change the way you think about people. It's a common thing that pastors say amongst one another. Don't look at it. Because <laughs> you'll be discouraged. <laughs> right? Did you know Jesus watched the offering plate? You know Jesus paid attention to who gave and who didn't? Oh, he did? Have you seen that before in the Bible? Yeah. Did you know he can see you now? I mean, we don't need the Bible to show you that one. We gotta be okay with encouraging our friends. How's your giving going? How's your time? How's your devotion? How's your word? Oh, thanks for asking, Pastor. I really appreciate that. How's your tithing going? Thanks for asking, Pastor. Actually, I was wondering. (laughs) Never mind. Do you understand the point? Great point he brings up. Now, Randy Alcorn said that. I didn't say that, so you can get mad at him. Number two, when should we give? See, it's not about should we give, because we all know we should. It's when. When should we give? All right, two verses, Old Testament and New. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. First fruits. It was all about the first in the Old Testament. You can go read the whole Old Testament if you don't believe me. First fruits. <laughs> New Testament, 1 Corinthians 16. Well, that's not in the New Testament. We don't give first. Okay. New Testament, here we go. Now, regarding your question about money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure that I gave to the churches in Galatia. In other words, you're not the only church I've told this to. On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money that you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. Put it aside first. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. And the whole conversation is about money. Man, the principle of first carries through scripture. First. There is no debate on when. It's first. Why? Why first? So many reasons, but write this in your notes. True generosity is intentional, not random. A real generous person is intentional about their giving. They're not random in their giving. Imagine your life where you were trying to intentionally be generous. You wouldn't give on the back end. You'd give on the front end. You would set it aside. This goes to this first. It's intentional. It's not random. It's not if I have a little bit left over. That's getting leftovers. Intentionality. Real generous people set it aside. My wife and I set aside at the very beginning. For many years, we labeled part of our giving and, and this isn't talking about us or bragging on us above our tithe, but we would set up a, a put in our budget generosity. In other words, money that we spend on people because we feel prompted to in the moment to feel like it to bless them. So we, were, we didn't have a lot of money, and so she would go to work, or I would go to work, it was more oftentimes sometimes me, and I'd say, I bought so-and-so's lunch today. Hey, we broke, man. You can't buy people's lunch, you know? And I'd say, God is faithful, you know? And so then she would do the same. I would, she'd go buy someone's lunch. I'm like, babe, look, I'm supposed to be on a date night on Friday, you know? Now we're gonna have to go to Panera and have a soup. 
And she would say, but I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to do it. So we had a dollar amount set aside for just generosity. And we're prepared for it because it's intentional. Telling you, the most generous people I've met on the earth are intentional in their giving. They're not random. They intentionally set it aside. All right. So how much should we give? Let's get to it. (laughs) You know, the debate is not about if we should give as Christians. Or maybe even when, because you can't, uh, at the very end, when, when Jesus comes back, then I'll, I'll, I'll start giving. <laughs> All right, so it's not when, it's not when, it's really about how much, isn't it? Come on, say yes, yeah, how much? How much we talk in here, right? That's the language we use, how much? Uh, let's, let's talk about how much. All right, let's talk about how much, because I want to help you today, because I know you came in excited to hear about how much you should give. All right. Man, I love it when I preach good like this. Most of you are familiar with the word tithe. How many raise your hand if you heard the word tithe? All right. How many plug your ears when you hear the word tithe? All right. So you hear the word tithe. The tithe means tenth. Now, some of you don't know how to do percentage, so I'm going to teach you today. So a tithe means tenth, so it's 10%. So somebody who's really good at math, if we have a CPA in the room or some really smart people, if you have $10, what's 10%? $1? If you have $100, what's 10%? Okay. If you have $1,000, what's 10%? $100. If you have $10,000, what's 10%? $1,000. If $100,000, what's 10%? You see what it is? You ready? I'm about to give you a real wise statement that I heard and I'm passing it on to you. The more money you make, the harder it is to give. You gave a dollar when all you had was 10. That's kind of easy. You still get nine. When you have $100,000 and God says give 10,000, what? What? You see, this is the whole point of percentage-based giving, not just random giving. The percentage-based model challenges you at all levels. The more you make, the harder it is. That's why God didn't call us to give an amount, a percentage. Because you will always be growing in that giving. Now, don't forget what Deuteronomy 6 said. When you start making the cash money, don't forget about me. Don't forget who got you there. And you know what will happen when he takes it away? Because your unfaithfulness to him? God, give it back. Right? We run to him when we're in need. All right, tithe, real fast. Leviticus 27, where did the tithe come from? I'm in the Old Testament. I'll get to the New in a minute. A tithe of everything from the land. This is what the Jews were commanded to do. A tithe of everything from the Lord. Listen to this. A tithe from everything in the land, whether grain, the soil, the fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It all belongs. It's holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of value to it. Every tithe of the herd and the flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. 
if anyone does make a substitution, both the animal and the substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. <coughs> Excuse me. These are the commands the Lord commands, commands the Lord gave Moses at Mount Sinai for the Israelites. The good news is you were not there, you're not an Israelite, and so you're like, oh, not me. The animals, listen, that passed in a single file underneath the staff of the shepherd often were marked with a red mark. And they'd get a red mark and then that animal would be set aside. This is how they would choose their tithe. Deuteronomy 14.28 describes another kind of a tithe. This is one every three years. Deuteronomy 14 verse 28 says, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your town so that the Levites, those are the pastors, by the way, of the church, the people who led the church, ran the church, and gave their life to the church to devoting themselves to the gospel of Christ. Those are the Levites. They're running the tabernacles. They weren't allowed to have land, so they had to have money. So, and the foreigners and the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. And so the Lord your God may bless you in all your work of your hands. So the question that people debate is not if the Old Testament commands tithing, because it does. Nobody has ever debated with me about the Old Testament commanding tithing. It is clear that they commanded tithing in Scripture, in the Old Testament. The tithe being the tenth part is requirement of the law. In fact, that is not true. Did you know, when you factor in all required giving for an Israelite, the actual amount was somewhere around 23% of their giving, of their earnings, they had multiple different tithes. They had offerings on top of that. And so an Israelite Jew was called to give by God about 23% of their income. That was the command. It was beyond a tithe, so to speak. I mean, you're glad that you're not under the old covenant today. <laughs> right now, see, you're a liar. Some of you are like, well, I'm actually kind of glad I'm not having a 23%. <laughs> Okay, now, let's go to the new. Let's see what he says about the new. Watch, does, he, does tithing, is it a part of New Testament? Because we're under the new covenant, amen? Okay, I've got a few minutes. So, you are in the new covenant, amen. You no longer have to be circumcised, amen. Amen. We don't have to shed animals' blood. Amen. You understand? We are not in the old covenant. We're in a new covenant. So amen to that. All right. So what, is, what does the new covenant say about tithing or giving? Well, there's one occasion that I see in Scripture, New Testament, where Jesus clearly talks about tithe, or at least the word tithe is mentioned. Luke eleven forty two. But woe to the Pharisees. You tithe the mint and rue and manna and all the herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Now that's just significant because I think Jesus has a clear opportunity to say, no, you shouldn't tithe. But he doesn't. He doesn't say your tithing is wrong. He doesn't. He simply said, not that your tithing is wrong. Instead he goes, what was wrong was the things that you weren't doing. You were leaving the other things undone. He didn't say his tithing is wrong. He could have, but he didn't. Instead, he just focused on, hey, that's fine, but let's talk about these things that you're not doing, love and justice and mercy and loving God, loving people. 
He's criticizing their appearance of righteousness, their religion, so to speak, while not loving their neighbor. In other words, they do the external religious duties, but he doesn't have their hearts. I remember one time that God told me, I've been tithing for many years and um, have been. And about four or five years ago, I think I told you this, maybe four or five years ago, there was a moment in my life where um, faithfully tithing and sometimes more, but um, felt like the Lord told me one day, I still don't have your heart. I'm like, what you talking about, man? I'll be tithing, bro. You know, that's, that was, that's how I talked to God. This is my dad, so he already knows that's what I'm saying anyways, you know. But I was immediately convicted by God. Yeah, you're writing the 10% stuff and more sometimes, but I don't have your heart. You see? It's, 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 you can't turn this thing into a religious thing. It's, do I have your heart? Most importantly. And if I get your heart, then everything belongs to me. Now we're in the right place. This is his push with his Pharisees. Jesus gives the teaching in Mark 10. As Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only, good is, only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. Don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, you know those things. Testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone on your father and mother. Verse 20, the teacher of the man replied, I've obeyed all the commandments since I was young. I'm doing it. I'm religious. It's awesome. Look at the man. Jesus felt genuine love for him looking at the man. There's still one thing you haven't done. Now he brings the conversation about money. Go and sell all your possessions and give money to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Write this in your notes. God doesn't just look at what we give. He looks at what we keep. Jesus wants the heart. When asked the tough question about how much, two examples of giving in the New Testament that I will tell you, and invite the team up. We're going to sing a song, and then we're going to be done. Two minutes of a song, because I want to give you a moment to respond to what the Holy Spirit's speaking to you today. When we ask the question, how much, two examples of giving in the New Testament. Now, I don't see anywhere else in the New Testament where it explicitly commands tithing. That's the argument. It commands it. Remember, Jesus had an opportunity to correct it, and he didn't. In fact, he said, that's good. So you say, well, does the New Testament command giving? I don't see a commandment to give 10%. But I will show you how much it says you should give. <laughs> okay, here we go. Mark 12, 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put to watch the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Now, this is both offerings and tithings. They're bringing the stuff to the storehouse, okay? Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two small coins, worth it, only a few cents. Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, hey, I'm watching y'all. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more money into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, and put everything everything that she had to live on. You read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you will see something in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The stakes are greater. The 
call is higher. Under the law, 23%. Under the law, to commit adultery was a sin. Jesus preaches on adultery, and what did he say? When you look at a woman lustfully, you sin. And he talks about murder when you have hatred in your heart. He raises the stakes, never lowers the bar. The whole New Testament is about a greater grace. If the law requires 23, or we'll go with 10, how much does grace require? They were going by a law. She was walking in grace. Take a picture of the cross and put it in your heart and then give from that place. And I'm telling you now, when you consider what Jesus did for you, and you give from that place, you won't stop at 10. He'll have it all. He'll have every dollar. It's all yours anyways, right? Last one. Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says, chapters 8 and 9, you can read it later says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God is in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. So, man, he brags on another church about their giving to another church. Talk about comparing. Shouldn't compare giving. Okay, should I read that again? Should I read it again, comparing giving? I mean, he talks about a church giving to another church. Y'all should be giving like they give. Look what he says. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are on. We live in the most richest society in the history of the face of the world. You know how rich you are? Goodness gracious. Look, he says, they gave out of their poverty, but they're filled with abundant joy, which overflowed with generosity. For I can testify that they gave, and I love this, not only what they could afford, but far more. Say that again. They gave what they, they didn't just give what they could afford, they gave more. So how do you give more than you could afford? Have you ever been called by God to give something that didn't make sense? Watch this. They gave more than they could afford to give. I know, theologically you're going, no, how's that possible? Because with God, all things are possible. Because God will call you to give all you have, so to speak, so that he can show you who your real provider is. Remember one time, my wife and I talked about this. We, were, we had to give something. I was like, that's crazy. You know, we're going to give that. Blah, 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 blah. You know, trying to debate the whole thing. We give it. Seven, eight months later, and it came back and more than we ever could imagine. And there's so many stories that many of you have, like stuff like that. But God calls you to, to give. And this church gave more than they could even afford. Why would they do that? Because they're financial idiots. Because they have no accounting skills. No. No, listen. And they did it out of their own free will. What would lead people to do that? So we've urged, he says, Titus, who's encouraging your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish the ministry of giving so you can excel in so many ways in your faith and your gifted speakers and your knowledge and enthusiasm and your love from us. And I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. You know what led these people to give from that place? They knew who he was that gave to them. None of it's mine. It's all his. So my push is, how much? Your whole life. Everything. 
put it at play. Say, Lord, whatever you say. And I've never met a loving Christ father where God lowered the standard of their giving. And in my life of following Jesus 16 years, I've never once heard him confirm in my heart to give lower than the Old Testament commanded. How could grace ever require less than the law? Grace requires more. Always growing in grace. Always growing in giving. Amen. Let me pray for you. Stand to your feet. I know all this begins with the heart, though. If he has your heart, he'll have it all. I'm not asking for your wallet. I'm not asking for an extra donation today. I'm just asking you to give God your whole heart because he loves you so much. So I'm asking you today to consider giving him your heart. That's what he wants most. He does not need your money. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. Does he have it? And if he doesn't, close your eyes. Just tell him, Lord, I give you my heart today. And if he whispers, then I want your money, you just say, you can have that too. I want your material possessions. You can have that too. I'm going to invite you to do something. You give something to somewhere. Uh, Lord, whatever you say in advance, yes, Lord, I'll do it. You don't trust me with your money? He might be saying to some of you, come on, you don't trust me? Tell him today, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to start trusting you. If you need to repent and change your thinking, Lord, you're my provider. I'm not. We're just seeing a little bit of this, then we surrender. We are your people. You are our God. We are your temple, make us holy like you are. We are your children, you set us apart. God, for your glory, make us holy like you are. We are your people, you are our God. We are your temple, make us holy like you are. We are your children, and you set us apart. So God, for your glory, make us holy like you. You're calling, we're coming, we're not walking, we're running. God, we need re-surrender, so we re-surrender. If you're calling, we're coming, we're not walking, we're running. God, we need re-surrender, so we re-surrender. your obedience. I don't want your sacrifice. It's 
say yes to the Lord, to call him, he'll pour out floodgates of blessing. Same is true in our finances. Same is true in our time. You give him 30 minutes a day, he'll pour out blessing in your life. You know? Give him time in your heart and space to speak. To sow is what you reap. It's a principle that proves true for all time. church body, we want to be a church that is full of generosity. We would love, Lord, for you to look down at our church one day and say, man, we've been faithful. We were faithful stewards. It starts with me for sure. Our church body is a family. Lord, we want to be obedient in our giving to you. And so we give way beyond our percentage. Lord, we give everything. We just lay it down, lay it down, we lay it down. It's all yours. It's all yours. So, teach us, show us, help us to follow you, give us the courage to do what you say every day of our life. In Jesus' name.